Gone is a podcast about people who have gone missing from the United States and Canada. These people are daughters, sons, sisters, and aunties. They didn't just disappear. Someone, somewhere, knows something. I'm Janelle Feller. And I'm Katie Nordby. These are the stories of Abby Joe Blay and Amy Joy Vestal. Abby Jo Blagg was born March 21, 1995. She lived with her parents, Jennifer and Michael, in the Redlands area of Grand Junction, Colorado. Michael was an operations director for the Dixon Division of Amtec, Incorporated. Jennifer was a stay-at-home mom. Abby attended Bookcliff Christian School. The families were a member of a small evangelical church that was a big part of their lives. On November 13, 2001, an unknown caller called in to excuse Abby from school that day. Michael had left for work at 7 a.m. that morning. Michael called several times throughout the day to check on them, but the calls all went to the answering machine. When he came home around 4 p.m., the back door was ajar. He went inside and found a pool of blood in their bed. Jennifer's purse had been dumped and her jewelry was missing from the dresser. Michael called the police to report that his wife was missing. While talking to law enforcement, he stated that he hadn't thought to check on his daughter, Abby. When he entered Abby's room, he could see that her school clothes were laid out for her, but she was nowhere to be found. There was a pool of blood on the bed, but very little blood found throughout the house. Traces of Jennifer's blood were found on the steering wheel and brake pedal of their minivan. There was blood in the back of the vehicle around the trim, and it didn't appear that any attempts had been made to clean it up. There were no traces of Abby, Abby's blood to be found. Investigator Steve King felt that the bedroom was staged, like a scene. There were no signs of a struggle. While searching the bedroom, they found a printed email to Jennifer from Michael that read, I'm sorry if I gave the devil a foothold. Jennifer had also written in her journal that she and Michael had argued the Friday night before she and Abby went missing. Investigator King pushed Michael, telling him that things couldn't have been as perfect as he made it seem. It was then that Michael told him that he was addicted to hardcore porn and Jennifer had found out about it. Michael then said that he talked his devout Christian wife into joining him online. He reported that Jennifer told him that she didn't want him on those sites, but if he was going to be on those sites, that they should do it together. That doesn't seem like... That just... That just doesn't seem like... It doesn't seem like a valid a valid excuse. It, it seems like a story he made yeah, up. Yeah, it does. Um, Michael went on to say uh, that this was after Jennifer's hysterectomy, and they needed to find other ways to satisfy each other sexually. He claimed that they used the hardcore porn sites as an educational tool. Again, I just... I just don't see it. Yeah. Michael Blake attempted suicide after being interrogated by the FBI for 10 hours. In June 2001, Investigator King and his team used GPS technology and landfill logs to set up a grid system at the dump. It was brutal work with temperatures reaching 104. On the 16th day of searching, 
They found the body of Jennifer Blake. She had been shot in the face and wrapped in a tent. Where they found her body, uh, it was surrounded by trash from her husband's employer, Dixon. Dixon was arrested at his mother's home in Georgia two days later. It takes the jury 24 hours to find Michael Blake guilty of first-degree murder. He is sentenced to serve life without the possibility of parole. Then, in 2014, the conviction is overturned. A juror, Marilyn Charlesworth, had reported that she had been a victim of domestic violence for 10 years. The trouble is, is that she had been asked that same question nine years earlier during a different jury selection, and she had stated the opposite. She was sentenced to 10 days in jail and fined $10,000. The murder conviction against Michael Blake was thrown out. He was granted a new trial, but he had to remain in prison. The trial was moved to Jefferson County Courthouse in Golden, Colorado. In February 2018, Michael was tried for the murder of his wife for a second time. Over a five-week period, 80 witnesses testified. Michael himself testified for two hours. He didn't testify in the first trial. Okay. Nevertheless, the court found him guilty of the murder of Jennifer Blake. He was again sentenced to life without parole. Michael Blake was never charged with the disappearance of his six-year-old daughter, Abby. It is widely believed that Michael killed Abby, too, and deposited her body in the, dis in the dumpster at his work, just as he had done to Jennifer. Abigail Jo Blake was six years old when she went missing. She would be 25 years old today. Abby is a Caucasian female with blonde hair and blue eyes. If you know anything about the disappearance of Abby, contact the Mesa County Sheriff's Department at 970-244-3500. There's so little information about Abby that I could find. It's it hardly talked about. Um, and they never figured out where that phone call came from to the school? It was listed as an unknown caller. And there's just too many. But without a body, there is no crime. Right. And um, so and I'm sure they I'm sure that once they found Jennifer's body, they searched even harder to find Abby's body. Yeah. Um, because it was the belief that she would be in that area. But they, they didn't find anything, and he hasn't admitted to anything. His, uh, I, I believe his, his mother, at least his mother, is still alive, and he has siblings, and they all believe he's innocent of, of these things, and so he has not confessed to anything. And that first um, murder charge, murder conviction, mm -hmm. was thrown out because that juror... Yes. Because it wasn't considered a fair trial. Well, um, that the juror, the juror, it was misconduct. Sure. And because um, they didn't answer consistently, uh, honestly. Well, we, I mean, I would say that that um, I don't know what the question was, and I, but somewhere it got very serious because the ten thousand dollar fine and a, right. and and. Um, the, yeah, it's just, I don't know if everybody, I don't know if 
people would always consider themselves victims of domestic violence until they consider themselves a victim of domestic violence. Right. I mean, I think that there's a there's some kind of imaginary line you cross and you go, oh, this is what this is. I think to answering that in front of the other jurors would have been maybe difficult. If is that what they do? Is that is that how that works? Yep. I mean, not maybe not every single case, but those um, they're asked that, those questions. Yeah. Sometimes they're brought back into the judges' chambers to ask those questions. So I'm, um, you know, who knows if but that was the been. case. But still, you know, admitting that you're a victim of domestic abuse to anybody that you don't know could be difficult. Well, if you would first of all admit it to yourself, right, and then admitting it out loud, right. especially if, it, you know, ten, nine, or ten years previous, could have been something that was kind of new. But right. I, I think it's it's very unfortunate, and I think this is a situation in which. Um, a victim of domestic violence was again victimized because of domestic violence and the the, the um, social stigma um, and the difficulty of, of living that life while keeping this huge secret right. this elephant of a secret yeah. and um, I can I, I guess I can see how sh- she could have been telling the truth to the best of her ability right. at that time. But neither here nor there. We, it, it, uh, it, it was considered misconduct, and um, he was tried again, unfortunately found guilty. Right, thankfully. Yeah. There's too many things. The, the um, blood on the steering wheel, blood on the pedal. Um, there's just, it was, she was surrounded by information identifying Dixon Corporation. Right. Um, yeah, there's just too many. And then his justifications for his action, um, what, you know, it just, it's gross. Yeah, it is. And still, this little girl. Right, she's, she's lost in the midst of all of this other chaos that's, that's happened, and she's kind of been... Put on the back burner. Well, and if he if he could do what he did to his wife, shoot her in the face, which um, and then dump her body at his work, uh, he can do anything. Right. I mean, he can do anything. So, Amy Joy Rowe. Grew up in Wyoming with her parents and siblings. She was a cross-country runner in high school, but really blossomed to a standout runner in college at the University of Wyoming. Amy hoped to try out for the 2000 Olympics. This is where she met her future husband, Steve Betchel, in 1991. Steve was a rock climber, and they both had a passion for the outdoors. They married in 1996, when Amy was 24, and settled into life in Lander, Wyoming. Lander is a pleasant town located in central Wyoming. It has a population of 7,500. It boasts outdoor attractions like Sinks Canyon State Park, Worthen Meadow Reservoir, Shoshone National Forest, the Wind River Mountains, and the Red Desert. In the early 90s, rock climbers began to arrive, drawn by some of the most accessible and difficult cliffs in America. Amy worked as a waitress and taught a children's weightlifting class while studying to be a personal trainer. Steve worked as an assistant manager of a store that sold rock climbing equipment. 
In July 1997, they had just closed on a house, and Amy was busy planning and organizing a 10K hill climb scheduled for September. On July 24, 1997, Amy told Steve she was planning on running errands and going for a run after teaching her weightlifting class. Steve had plans to hang out with his friends, scoping out rock climbing locations. Amy stopped at a photo store around 2.30 and then a place called Gallery 331. She spoke to the proprietor, Greg Legner, about her photos. Greg said that Amy seemed hurried and kept glancing at her watch. This would be the last confirmed sighting of Amy Betchell. It's believed that after leaving the gallery, Amy drove to the Shoshone National Forest, about a half hour away from her home, to practice the course for the upcoming 10K. At 4.30 p.m., Steve returned home and Amy wasn't there. By 10.30, he still hadn't heard from her, so he called around to friends and her parents, who also hadn't heard from her. Steve called the police to report her missing. At 1 a.m. on July 25th, Amy's white Toyota Tercel was found parked at the Burnt Gulch Turnoff Road of Loop Road in the Shoshone National Forest. The car was found unlocked. Her $120 sunglasses, her keys, and her to-do list were on the passenger seat. Her wallet was missing and Amy never took that running. From what they found on her to-do list, a milepost description of landmarks that she had jotted down while referring to her odometer indicated she drove herself to the mountains before she disappeared. By 3 a.m., an extensive search was underway by authorities as well as by her husband, friends, and family. Heavy rain that day hampered their search and potentially washed away any sign of Amy. Search and rescue dogs, two helicopters, and at least 100 volunteers were out looking for Amy. In the next couple days, they expanded their search area to a 20 to 30 mile radius from where her car was found. An infrared detection device was flown in from Cheyenne, and searchers combed various lakes and mines in the area on horseback and ATVs. By July 27th, the authorities had received roughly 1,000 calls per day with tips and leads. There were so many mountain-savvy searchers that it was said that if she was out there, she would have been found. They even requested satellite images from the day Amy went missing in the hope that they could see something, but nothing was found. According to a witness who was driving through the forest that afternoon, a woman resembling Amy was seen running along the road wearing black shorts similar to those she had been wearing earlier that day. Another witness, a mechanic, saw a woman running on Loop Road, which at the time was odd to see someone running that far up. It had started to rain, and he thought that he, if he saw her again on his way down the mountain, he would offer her a ride. He didn't see her again, but he remembered having to inch his way around a blue-green vehicle, possibly a van, that had parked in the middle of the road. In August, checkpoints were set up at the entrances of the forest to contact anyone who might have been in the area when Amy went missing. Her husband, Steve, created a toll-free hotline and a website and also sent out 270,000 missing person photos to truck stops and post offices in more than 40 states. By September, sightings were pouring in from all over the country, but they were no closer to finding Amy. Investigators initially thought that Amy fell victim to the elements or possibly attacked by a bear or a mountain lion. However, they later suspected her husband after uncovering a series of his journals describing violence towards women, specifically Amy. Detectives interrogated him on August 1st, 1997. They falsely claimed to have evidence proving he murdered his wife, but as a result, Steve terminated the interview and hired an attorney. He would later claim the journals had comprised of song lyrics he had written for his band and that they were unrelated to Amy or her disappearance. 
Also, a woman driving through the area where Amy disappeared claimed to have seen a truck matching Steve's in the area, and there was a woman in the passenger seat with blonde hair. In 1998, local police stated that Steve was not the central suspect in the case, but wanted to clear him of suspicion so that they could follow other leads, which they were unable to do due to his lack of cooperation. Steve provided an alibi, which was corroborated by his friend he spent the day rock, rock climbing with. However, he refused to take a polygraph. Amy disappeared a little over a year after they were married. In 2007, Sheriff Sergeant Roger Rizzer told the Billings Gazette, quote, I believe it was a homicide, and I believe it ha- what happened to her happened on the day she disappeared. In my mind, there is only one person that I want to talk to, only one person who has refused to talk to law enforcement, and that's her husband, unquote. Dale Wayne Eaton, a convicted murderer on Wyoming's death row, has also been cited as a suspect. According to his brother, he had been camping in the area where Amy disappeared, approximately a mile from where Amy's car was found. He also drove a Dodge van, which may have been the same vehicle that 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 mechanic had to drive around when he came down the mountain the day Amy disappeared. But when Eaton's brother brought this tip up to authorities a month and a half after Amy disappeared, they were so hung up on Amy's husband and the fact that there was a $100,000 reward, the brother's motives were questioned. Dale Wayne Eaton had committed unspeakable crimes, including kidnapping, rape, and murder. He wasn't caught until 2002 for the murder of 18-year-old Lisa Marie Kimmel in 1988. He was sentenced to death in 2004. He refused to speak with authorities about Amy's case in 2013 when he was revisited as a possible suspect. He was on death row until 2014, when a judge overturned his death sentence. He will spend the rest of his life in prison. But with the death penalty off the table, the detective didn't have much for bargaining. Steve Betchel left Lander for Utah after Amy disappeared. He had her declared deceased in 2004. He remarried and moved back to Lander, where he owns a fitness center. According to the Charlie Project website, he lives in the house that he and Amy purchased three days before she disappeared. He maintains his innocence and believes that authorities focused on him due to lack of suspects and evidence. Amy Joy Betchel is described as Caucasian, 5'5 to 5'6, and 110 pounds. She has blonde, shoulder-length hair and blue eyes. She was last seen wearing a yellow or gold tank top, blue or black shorts, Adidas Trail Response sneakers, a Timex Ironman triathlon watch, and a small double wedding band on her left ring finger. Her ears are pierced. She wears a size 8 shoe, and she wears gas-permeable contact lenses. She has scars on both shins and knees, a checker-shaped scar on her lower back, and a scar on her left cheek approximately a half an inch by two inches in size. The scar is only noticeable when she is cold. If you have any information about the disappearance and or whereabouts of Amy Joy Betchel, please contact the Fremont County Sheriff's Office at 307-332-5611. It should also be mentioned that there is a ton of information about this case so much more than I would have even able to put into this story. Um, so I think if people are interested in her story, they should research it because there's there's a lot of information that I've left out um, just because it was so much. Was it, um, was it about her? Was it about him? Um, it was more just kind of little little details Detail. that weren't necessarily right. important to telling the, the main the gist of the story. Right, right. I didn't, I didn't think that they were as important as telling right. the main points right. of, of the story. Right. Which was still, which was still a lot. It was a lot, yeah. 
but I think it's worth looking into if, if people are interested in her story. There's a lot of really good articles about her. So there really there really weren't any other suspects? No, not that were mentioned that I could find. Um, and was there proof that the, that the one person who was in prison for life, that he'd been in that area? Yes. There was proof? There was proof. Okay. Yep. Um, his brother had known that he was in the area um, mm-hmm. camping, and the only campsite in the area was about a mile away from where her car was found. And all of this sort of, again, this is one of those things that I didn't really talk about, but all of it comes out when um, <clears throat> Dale Eaton attempts to kidnap somebody else. Um, and then he's now kind of in the spotlight. Right. And then um, Amy had just gone missing before this other person had been kidnapped. Okay. Um, so then the brother brings it up to authorities. Hey, my brother was in the area when this other woman was has disappeared a month and a half later. Right, and right. and so, but but, I mean, you might not know that your brother behaved that way. If so, I mean, I I, I you can be violent, but that doesn't mean you can that I don't know. You'd think you'd know, but I don't know if you would um, know that your adult brother had, was doing those kind of activities. Um, but they were just suspicious of that he was he was mentioning that so that he could get the large reward. Right, and Dale Wayne Eaton had already kidnapped and murdered somebody in 1988. Sorry, so this is already this has already happened <clears throat> at least two times. One time One before time. Amy went missing. Okay. So then Amy went missing. And, and then he did it again. And then he tried to kidnap somebody else. So And was caught. And was caught. And so the brother had said, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't realize my, my brother was capable of doing this. Right. And now here's this other female who went missing in the area. Right. He could, you know, he was he camping was, right. in he this area. Close. Right. Right. And so at this time, they didn't even know, they still didn't know that he was responsible for this 1988 kidnapping and murder. It's only he wasn't, because they the DNA. He wasn't caught until like 2002 or 2000 I think it was 2002 when the DNA I think that this Lisa Kimmel's vehicle was found on his property in 2002 really yeah and that <clears throat> gave him up that, that gave him up yeah but at the time of Amy's disappearance they didn't know about Lisa okay they didn't know about the connection right between this right. this Eaton guy right Lisa Kimmel's body had been found. It had been found. Before. Yeah, in 1988. Okay. okay. Um, but they had they didn't know who who did this to her, and then Amy goes missing in 1997, and then I I don't remember the exact date, but it was shortly after. It was at least a month or so after Amy mm-hmm. went missing, that um, Dale Eaton had attempted to kidnap a family. Um, yeah, and he was caught. And then that's when the brother was like, wait a minute, if he's capable of doing this, which we didn't know this, right. we know that he was in the area at the time that this Amy went missing. Right. So, right. and then, you know, fast forward until 2002, when they were finally able to find Lisa's, Lisa Kimmel's car mm-hmm. in Dale Eaton's property, on his property. So, yeah. The, the couple had only been married. A year. Yeah. 
and and I didn't find anywhere that anybody said anything about Steve Betchel's behavior. Like, was he controlling? I didn't, you know, was, was there abuse before? I mean, they found these journal entries that he was, you know, he, he said this is what they were, but I didn't find anywhere else that anybody, like her family or anybody, said that he was abusive or controlling or... From previous girlfriends or Yeah, other, I didn't other find anything family that, members or... that would say that he was you know, an abusive husband. Right. That does that obviously doesn't mean anything, but right. I couldn't find any statements that were made. Well, and there was a hundred thousand dollars collected for a reward and um and he was very active in finding he was very active in, in motivated in getting information out and, and doing those things. He was. Um, he it was said that he and his um, that he and him and Amy's friends um, camped out on the on the mountain um, for quite a while after she went missing, just, just to case. just to be present and just in help in the search. Something. Yep. Yeah. Well, and he he had an alibi and that he was with someone. Um, right. At Rockland. Yep. Or looking for locations yep. to Rockland. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, if, if people are if people are interested in more about this writing, I'd encourage people to read. There's sure. there's quite a few very long articles written about you know the timeline and her her actions and his actions and how it all kind of seems a little odd. And then there's Dale Wayne Eaton and there's so much information out there that well maybe this is uh, introduced um, people to to her and uh, they can they can look into it. I think that it's. She she was young, beautiful, active, um, and unusual. I mean, a ten k through the mountains. I mean, she yeah. she was exceptional. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I guess every single person that we talk about is is exceptional in some way. But and the people who saw her, well, they they assume that it was her. The people who saw this female running thought that it was odd that she was running that far up in the mountain because at the time people weren't running up there that wasn't a known place to go for a run mm-hmm. um, it sounds like it is now but at the time you didn't find people running that far up right. in the mountains well and she was she was developing this race yeah. so she was she made she was running the, the running the race to see right what it was like um, yeah you know though they always they <laughs> They always look to the spouse as right. the person closest, and I mean, and I, I mean, r- rightly so. I think that the first person you look at should be the person who's closest to them. Right. And but that's not. It's not the only person capable of murder. Right. Um, but. It's um, yeah. You can't put all of your eggs in one basket and and um, and search for that though it's interesting that the cases that we talked about um, both were couples whose husband had been accused or had been convicted of murdering their wife right so yeah interesting thank you katie we ask that you do not reach out to the families or post names of possible suspects on social media missing person photos along with information and articles used for these cases can be found on our website at gone-podcast.com Thank you.
So for my weekly distraction, I have some things that just bring me great joy. Okay. And these are statements of from kids. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if they're tweets or, I don't know, snickerdoodles. I have no idea what they are, but they're adorable. So this is from Miles. He's four years old. My blanket is my pants. <laughs> I mean, really? Yeah. So I don't need to wear pants? I don't know if that's what, what Miles is saying, but, um, or that he doesn't need a blanket because he has pants on. Right. But, but well, either way. I, well, and I think now, I mean, we're all in quarantine still. I mean, does it matter? Doesn't matter. Doesn't, I mean, I saw matter. I saw something on Facebook the other day. Unless you're going said, out to get the mail, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. And it said, "You call it a soft robe. I call it a casual wrap dress. <laughs> <laughs> I call it a fluffy wrap. <laughs> I call it a fluffy burrito sack." But I'm in. <laughs> um, this is from a little eight-year-old. He said, "I don't have a watch, but I know it's snack o'clock." Mm. It's always snack o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. This is from Ezro. Six, I think that's a he. Ezra, you think that's a he? I would think so. Ezra, age six. I know two things are permanent: love and truckies. <laughs> yes, <laughs> accurate. And they probably last about the same. Yeah, <laughs> never ever come off. Henry, age two, says, "Don't wipe my tears away. I want to feel them on my face." Oh, <laughs> oh my God, it's true. He broke my heart, and he's two. <laughs> Gideon, age seven. Sometimes when my feelings are big, I like to sing them. Hmm. You know, I think that would help. I think so. Like when you when you pick that tiny little piece of metal that holds the bed up oh. with that with your second or third uh. third toe or fourth toe, which are so very tender. Uh, yeah. Yep. Sing, sing it out. <laughs> this is from Kira, age seven. I'll just take a nap. That's how we'll solve that. Yes, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Sometimes you just need to take a nap. Uh, honestly, yeah, it will cure most things. It will. <laughs> this is from Jameson, age two. How come the two-year-olds are breaking my heart? <laughs> Jameson says, I'm too sad for pants. I know what I'm yeah. talking about. I'm just... I'm just going to walk around in my underwear because... Jeans. I feel like I'm too sad for jeans. Because they're just not comfortable. Well, and some days, just you're running around in your underwear <laughs> just because too <laughs> sad for pants. <laughs> I wonder what caused that. Poor Jameson. This is from, this is from a little six-year-old. Sometimes I fall down on purpose so that I can just take a break. I actually have a, a story about that. Uh, <laughs> when my son was in hockey, when he was younger, um, he kept falling down all the time. And I kept saying, do your skates need to be sharpened? Like, why do you keep falling? Sometimes I just need a break. <laughs> <laughs> Honest to God. It's hard work. It's hard work. Yes. And you need it. You need it. Yeah, there's no chairs out there. <laughs> right. And you just need to take a little rest. <laughs> a little rest. Sometimes you just need a break. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And uh, sometimes it falls on purpose so that I can take a break. I think that they six years old. Yeah, he was he was close. To yeah. That, oh my god. Seven. And those and hockey, it, you skate. Well, and I feel big... like it makes it easier to fall down when you need a break because you're so padded. You know, and like you it, can. Yeah. yeah, you can just slide across. No, I don't know how you get back up. It's I don't know. It's difficult. <laughs>
Uh, this is a little four-year-old who said, this is an F-word day. <laughs> I don't know what day that was, but yes, sweetie. Yes, it was. <laughs> yes. Because there have been numerous ones. Uh, what do you funny. have? Those are funny. So I have funny tweets from parents. Nobody has a better bedside manner than a kid who's trying to get their sibling they just punched to stop crying before their parents hear. <laughs> yes. It's okay. It's okay. It's, it's, okay. it's, okay. it's, it's okay. You're fine. You're, you're fine. fine. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> it's some fast talking. It is. It's some negotiating. <laughs> you're fine. It's fine. It's, it's fine. You're fine. fine. You're fine. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You can have my whatever. <laughs> Uh, my four-year-old just looked up from her breakfast and said, uh, Daddy, I ordered fruit, too. <laughs> so, so, so there's at least one dine-in restaurant still in operation during lockdown. I think there's probably more than one. <laughs> uh, every single parent with a child. Uh, I, I ordered uh, fruit. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Your tip is going to be affected. It's plastic money, but uh, it's still going to be affected. <laughs> Monopoly money. Yeah. <laughs> accidentally wrote henceforth in an answer on my third grader's social studies quiz and the teacher is suspicious <laughs> henceforth on my third grader's quiz right so you take the quiz home <laughs> well this is during lockdown so it was probably oh oh a third grader yeah yeah henceforth, henceforth. i don't even know why you would use that i don't word. even know how to use that word and you could just use then. <laughs> I mean, right. unless you're going to be using that big old 11th grade word, um, that doesn't seem necessary. No. It doesn't seem necessary on a quiz. And frankly, F. <laughs> right. For you, Mom. Right. My daughter had a Zoom class yesterday. The teacher's internet went out, so one of the kids was made default host. He muted everyone, pretended to teach the class, and then just said fart over and over again until the teacher was able to... <laughs> <laughs> fart, 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 fart. A seven-year-old seven boy? I don't know. It doesn't oh, say. Okay. I'm assuming they're, yeah, I'm assuming they're little. Yeah, over and over until the teacher was able to join back. It was amazing. <laughs> A seven-year-old could take over the world. Uh, fart, fart, fart. That's yep. just the whole thing. Yep. Homeschooling, <laughs> homeschooling is tough. For example, today I had to tell my son he didn't make our baseball team. Oh no! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh no! Uh, only three members anyway. <laughs> oh no! I was telling my kids about the time in 1996. After just moving to Atlanta, I got lost, and it took me five hours to get home because I didn't have a map. My son said, what do you mean a map? Like a national treasure map? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> With the burnt edges. With and the burnt edges. The X. And it's, and it's framed. Yeah, it's framed. and it's we used to We yeah. used to just drive around with them all the time. <laughs> no, I do remember one time that maps are actually dangerous. Um, I was driving. I had just started a new job. I was moving from um, the plains of South Dakota to Minneapolis. <laughs> and my first day on the job, I was told to pack your bags for three months. I didn't feel like it was it was to pack your bags for a, a away camp for a week. Um, literally, I had to leave the office to go and pack and come back sure. and drive to this location I'd never been to before. And I had a map, a fold out map that's 
I had a Toyota Tercel without air conditioning. Oh, gosh. So I'm driving with the map open, <laughs> and the wind caught, because I had to have all windows, both windows open. Right. It caught, slapped me in the face, and went out the window. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that was rude. Um, oh, I had, no. The next one I got was a plastic map. Yeah. It was much smaller. Oh, my gosh. And they're so small, and they're so hard to read. <laughs> I love GPS now. Maps are dangerous. They are dangerous, apparently. <laughs> Kids book. I got dressed today all by myself. Did you? Four-year-old. Nope. We don't get dressed anymore. <laughs> We're all running nope. around here pantsless. We're done. Yep. That's it. Nine-year-old. Can we watch all of the Marvel movies? Me. Pre-quarantine. We don't have time. Me now. Okay. Only five per day, though. Oh, my God. Yeah. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Uh, last one. Ten-year-old. You've been swearing a lot during quarantine. Me. Actually, it's the same amount as always. You're just around me more. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was great. <laughs>